Hi, this is Luke Morley from Thunder, and you're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast. Make me a deal and make it good for me. I won't get full of myself, I can't afford to be here. This is small town music, this is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me in the Zoom room today to promote his band's 14th studio album, Dopamine, from the band Thunder, please welcome guitarist, producer, and songwriter, Luke Morley. How you doing, Luke? Oh, great, Patrick. How are you doing? I'm great. Where uh, where are you located right now? Uh, I'm at home. I, I live on the south coast uh, of England in a place called Hove, which is right next door to Brighton. So it's about, what, seven o'clock in the evening for you? Yeah, bang on, yeah. Two minutes past seven. All right. Uh, first of all, here's what I want to tell you about this new album. Dopamine, it's fantastic. Thank you. And Thunder has one of the most consistent discographies in rock and roll. Well, thanks. I mean, usually when a band has a new album out, I'm always thinking, man, I hope it's good. But with you guys, I just always know that it's going to be. So who's in charge of quality control with the band? Well, I suppose it's the person who writes the songs and produces the records. That would be me, I guess. Um, it's uh, it's kind of evolved that way over the years, really. I think that the rest of the guys weren't really that interested in songwriting, and I'm sort of obsessed by it. So, um, fortunately, um, they're quite happy with that as a situation. And we, we've been together so long, we know each other so well that we don't have to kind of battle with internal ego issues or whatever. We just kind of we're like a well-oiled machine now, um, and uh, yeah, we're still really enjoying it. I think that's the key. The main, you know, the main kind of, as well as the hard work and the songs and the blah. Right. But I think as a band, the spirit of the band is very, very strong. We're very good friends. We still make each other laugh like children. Um, and we love hanging out and we love playing together. You know, that's it. I think the friend part might be more important than anything when it comes to being in a band. To be honest with you, if if we um, stop getting along, we, we couldn't do it. it. It this band is completely and utterly reliant on that chemistry. I mean, we've toured with bands mentioning no names, where they don't even see each other till they're on stage, you know. And uh, yeah. you know, I, I couldn't. I don't think any of us could exist in that environment really, because the whole point about being in a band is it's a gang, you know. It's a, you're all kind of pulling the same way for, with the same kind of goals and the same dreams and it's got to be. It's got to be like that. Otherwise, it's not really a band, is it? Uh, no, no, it's not. It's. Uh, I mean, I always think a band of brothers. You got to be getting along. For sure. Now the band hasn't released back-to-back albums since '95 and '96 with Behind Closed Doors and the Thrill of It All. So here we go, 2021 and 2022. We get all the right noises and dopamine. How do you explain this burst of creativity? Well, I think. All the Right Noises um, was finished and literally we finished the last mix about three days before the first lockdown in the UK. So um, 
obviously we didn't know how that was going to unfold. You know, initially, we, like everybody, we were told, oh, it'll be all over in a couple of weeks. There's no big, no big hassle. But of course, what happened was, well, we know what happened. Uh, and so the album was postponed six months. So All The Right Noises was six months late. And because of pandemic, lockdown and everything, we couldn't go out and tour and promote. So I just thought, well, I'm just going to keep writing. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm at home. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to sort of take my time and I'm just going to write uh, when I feel like it. And that kind of isolation, if you like, you know, just sort of being at home, you know, just, just me and my wife, we had a lovely time. You know, we sat in the garden, we drank a little wine, we <laughs> saw some music, we watched some movies, and it was great. And so I was incredibly relaxed and really enjoying writing. And I think that was the thing. So I wrote a lot of tunes. Um, and rather than having them all kind of building up, I, I sort of rang Danny and said, look, you know, we might as well record them. You know, what else are we going to do? Let's all get tested, go to the studio, observe the protocols. Uh, and we always like to work in a studio called Rockfield, which is in, in the Welsh countryside. It's miles from anywhere. So, you know, we formed a little COVID bubble there and just worked. And uh, it was great. I think for all of us to be able to get away, you know, and go and work at a time where people couldn't, it, that was really good as well. So it kind of all worked in our favour, if you like, I guess. Yeah. Another thing about you guys a lot of times if I buy a new album and it's got more than 10 or 12 songs on, I start to get worried because sometimes if there's 15, 16, 17, for me as a fan, some of those are throwaways. But again, sure. you guys can give me a 16 song album and I'm not fast forwarding through any of the tracks. It's it's quite incredible, Luke. I'm serious. Well, thank you, Patrick. It's very good to you. So, I mean, what we, I mean, we recorded 20. Right. And um, I, I thought they were all pretty good, but we all decided that we would try and whittle it down a little bit um, and, and just kind of be really brutal about the choices. Um, and we all agreed that 16, 16 of the songs just had to be heard. So, it, it, you know, we felt very strongly about all of them. It wasn't like, well, let's just kind of put some more stuff on this and the fans get more. It was like, as an album, it feels like it needs all of these 16 songs to have its balance and its kind of journey through everything. And and, uh, and that was it's purely kind of an artistic decision, if you like, um, not commercial at all. In fact, we knew it would uh, record company would raise an eyebrow and we said, hey, it's a double, guys. Um, but they were very good. That, and they kind of, they were slightly shocked at first, but I think once they heard the material, they kind of got it. And um, yeah, and it was just, you know, we'd never released a, a, a double album in that in that sense and it was kind of then we started thinking about it like that and it was just quite cool because obviously we grew up listening to fantastic double albums and right. white album is it all graffiti quadrophenia whatever so um you know it's like okay well hey let's let's make this our double album so that that was it really um but we we were very 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 careful to make sure that the that the material all merited being on, you know, um, rather than, as I say, just sort of making up the numbers. You guys always seem to kick off the album with a killer opening track, which I think is always key to get any listener ready for the record. And The Western Sky is one of those songs, just perfect.
Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's a nice, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's an exciting bit of rock and roll. What I what I really like about it is that it's um, it's it's well, it's great fun to play, and um, it's the only song we've ever recorded where Harry actually gets a quick solo. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> yeah. He was very happy about that. Uh, Harry's the wild card, right? He's the crazy one. Yeah, he's not so crazy these days. We're all getting on a bit now, but yeah, he, he, he's, he's one of the funniest human. He's a natural comedian um, and one of the funniest people you'll ever meet. Uh, but a fine drummer, because he's a bit of a character and quite funny. People don't actually re- notice how good he is until they actually stand next to him and go, "Oh, this guy can really play." Um, and yeah, I know Harry a long time, and, and uh, yeah, he's definitely. He, he, eccentric in an english way should we say <laughs> it's funny when i see the new promo picture you guys just look like some proper english gentlemen now you don't look like the crazy people we were introduced to in the dirty uh, love video well i think you know it's, it's an interesting thing patrick is because I, I i look at other bands like once again i'm not gonna mention any names but the one thing you can't deny about life is you're gonna get older right. happens to us all yeah, it goes grey. That's if you're lucky enough to have any. <laughs> you know, <laughs> shit happens. You know, you put a bit of weight on. Maybe you know, it's just the inevitable process of aging. Right. right. So you, that that then gives you um, a, a choice to make. Right. If you're very, if you're, I guess, a certain kind of person, then you may feel more comfortable dyeing your hair or kind of having a bit of bit of work done or you know, whatever. <laughs> And because of the way we are as people, and because you know we're all from the sort of South London, very kind of down to earth, working class kind of backgrounds, I, I, it, it, we couldn't do it. We'd just laugh at each other if anybody came in with like kind of you know, you know, the, 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 <laughs> or the big lips or that died. I think we would just fall on the floor laughing. So uh, it's never going to happen with us. And I don't think I think I think guys can still look cool. I think women can still look cool. When they get older. Yeah. I think you just got to be kind of maybe think a little bit more carefully about what you wear. I mean, I'm not going to wear skin tight ripped jeans anymore. It's just right. it's for younger people. It's great on younger people. Um, but I think it's good to have some dignity. I, I, I was very lucky actually in the 90s. Um, I did a bit of moonlighting with uh, Power Station. So I got to work with the great Robert Palmer. And um, I was very envious of Robert because. Whenever we went out and played, and you know, we did this Japanese tour, and everybody had this great big bag, and he just had this kind of little suit bag with him. I said, well, Where's your bags? He went, No, 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 just it, just it, dear boy. He said, I have two suits, <laughs> two suits, some nice shirts, and some underwear, and a pair of shoes. And he said, Every night I do, and he, he what he would do every night, he'd get on stage in the suit, he'd look immaculate with a tie and everything, yeah, do the show, he would sweat like crazy, and then he would take the suit off, just give it to the crew, and the next day he would put the clean one on. And and the next day, the other one would come back from the cleaners. And I just thought, what a brilliant thing. Because normally wardrobe is agonising for bands. It's like, where am I going to put it all? Oh, God. It was, you know, oh, how am I going to get it all washed? And he just had this system. It's been, I was a little envious of that. And I thought, hmm, when I get to a certain age, maybe I'm going to start wearing suits. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that was his stock and trade. He was uh, 
he looked like, uh, you know, the most fashionable man in the room when he was on stage. So he knew what he knew what he was doing. You brought up Power Station. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, an EP you did with Andy Taylor. Andy yeah. Taylor seems to be in and out of your life at all times in some way or yeah. another. But yeah. this thing, uh, the Spanish Sessions, I, I love that EP. And you actually sing lead on two songs. Yeah. And Andy sings lead on two songs. The Quiet Life is fantastic. never sing a song or two on a thunder album well uh, on the new album actually i do sing the first verse of one song there's a song called last orders um, where i sing the first verse okay uh, the thing is is that danny's such a great singer um and you know I, because i've been writing songs for danny to sing for uh, god knows how many years 40 years or whatever it is um he knows exactly where i'm coming from when i write and and um you know, I mean, basically, I make demos of the songs at home and I sing on them and I send them out to the band. And, um, uh, and Danny has this enormous range, which I'm not blessed with. So I struggle with some of the other tunes. Um, but, it, you know, we have a way of communicating and it works great. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I think it's, um, I do enjoy singing occasionally, but it's not something that I, uh, I, I kind of like the big picture. I like to be kind of at the back pulling the strings and, I write in kind of um, where I, you know, with a whole picture in view, rather than like get a guitar riff and then put, add the bass on. I tend to write with a whole sort of song in Panavision almost, and then colour it in as I go. Um, so I like, you know, I like sort of organising the band and doing all that sort of stuff. Um, Singing is a massive responsibility, um, yeah. <laughs> and having to talk to the audience, all those kind of things. So, you know, it's something I enjoy and, you know, and I might, you know, I might do it again at some point, but um, right now I'm, you know, quite happy with, um, with sort of being the guitar player. Let me mention uh, Danny, because this guy is the very definition of underrated. Mm -hmm. One of the best vocalists ever, in my opinion. And not only is he a big rock singer, but on the new album, there's a song called Unraveling. It's just a heartbreaker, and Danny's vocals are just packed with emotion on that one. I can't sleep, it's 4 a.m. The walls are closing in once more. Cold house, soulless rooms, no trace of you here. But I'll never give up 
And I'll never give in Even though it's a fact I'm losing it No, I'll never give up Even though I'm unraveling Yeah, well, that's an interesting song. Um, well, it's it's one of my favourites on the album. I think it's probably because um, I don't think we could have recorded a song like that 20 years ago. I think it, it, it has a sort of uh, a, a lightness of touch, a sort of delicacy about it yeah. um, in the band's playing and in his singing. Because if you ask him, you ask Danny, he'll say, well, I, you know, they make the noise and I shout over the top. It's normally how he defines his singing style. Uh, he's probably been a bit hard on himself there, but he, he he's a guy who sings loud uh, and, you know, right from the diaphragm and stuff. So when I when I sort of written this song and I sent him the demo and I said to him, you know, this needs to be really kind of delicate. Uh, and it, it, it's funny because he can sing loud all day. Yeah. But when you ask him to sing quietly, it's, it's a massive challenge for him. So he, you know, we spent a lot of time sort of, Getting this one just so, and then then he went in. Once he got it, he went in and did it in. I think two takes maybe. Um, so he's getting his head in the place where it's like you don't have to kind of give it, <laughs> you know, everything all the time. You just just relax into it and, and stuff. And he's absolutely nailed it. I agree. I think it's a, it's a beautiful vocal performance. Really good. Um, and I agree. It's a fantastic song and a great vocal. That's the thing when people see someone sing live and they're belting it out. That's actually the easy part. It's all the other things that aren't the belting that are the difficult singing things. So, but but yeah. the belting is what always gets the attention. I think it's an interesting thing about really good, really good rock and roll bands. I've always thought this is that, you know, anybody can turn up and turn and play loud, right? It's it's an easy thing to do, you know, just hit everything hard, turn it all up, shout, shout a lot, and and it's always exciting, but really great rock bands. I'm talking about Led Zeppelin, uh, ZZ Top, maybe. I'll just, oh, crikey. Um, many, all of many. Them, all of them can play quietly. They know how to play quietly and have a sense of dynamics, which is massively important. Because if you go and watch a rock show, if it's like, uh, you know, for like 90 minutes or whatever, it's like being hit over the head with a hammer repeatedly. You only feel the first couple of blows, right? And then after that, it's like, oh, what well, you know. But I like bands who do sort of take you on a journey, you know, so there's loud dynamic bits, there's quiet bits, there's bits where you can hear a pin drop, you know, and, and everything in between. A mixture of tempos, moods, melodies, all of those things. You know, I mean, I saw um, uh, Bruce Springsteen in 85 on the Ball in the USA tour. Yeah, so did okay. I. Yeah, um, and, you know, I still think that's probably the, the best put-together show I've ever seen. Uh, and he, he was just marvellous with an audience. And he, he started that show. I think he came out and played that uh, Bobby Witten song, I Don't Want to Talk About It, on his own. In Wembley Stadium, right, which is yeah. fucking huge. <laughs> and he just comes out with the acoustic guitar on his own on a sunny afternoon and starts singing that. And it was amazing. You just think, what a brave thing to do. Um, and that whole show... The way he mixed the dynamics, moved things around, involved the audience, spoke to the audience like he was talking to somebody across the table in a pub. I mean, it was fantastic. Absolutely beautiful to watch. Um, and I think the thing is, is that when I saw that, 
I, I was, funnily enough, Danny and I went to see that gig together and we both walked out of there going, well, you know, like having our minds slightly blown because I don't think we'd ever seen anybody handle the situation as well as Bruce does. Um, and he's still fantastic now. He's a natural storyteller, has all that stuff going on, but it's the subtlety. I always think with Springsteen as well. So we're going off piste a little bit here. Just my Springsteen. Well, no, it's it's fine. It's all good. I, I like to hear who influences are, who made a, an impact on you as a musician. Sure. Well, I think there's always th- things with Bruce is that he, I always felt that he needed uh, a really, really great record producer because live, he's absolutely knocks it out of the park. Yep. His records sound a bit stiff to me, like a bit kind of too. Um, Nothing like he is live. And I thought... Too, if, if too controlled. Worked, yeah. If he'd worked with somebody like, I don't know, Ted Templeman that did the Doobies and Van Halen, somebody like that, who was yeah. a great rock and roll producer, maybe he'd have got better results. I mean, listen, like he gives a that fuck, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just my little theory. Uh, Luke, are you throwing your hat into the ring to produce the next Springsteen album? <laughs> <laughs> uh, because you 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 are amazing behind the boards I, it, I mean these records always sound sonically uh, fulfilling to my ears well i can't take all the credit for that i'm afraid patrick i mean we i work with two fantastic engineers which is uh, uh nick Bryan who, who records and mike fraser who mixes and fraser is just like a genius he's the he's the absolute daddy and he knows how to make rock and roll sound like you're in the room with the band and that's yeah. the thing that's the, that's that's the act, and um, I think you know what I bring to the recording process is, I suppose, getting everybody to perform as well as they can, and the arrangements is kind of make leaving the right enough space and economy of, of sound, and not over layering things. It's very easy to do that with rock and roll. You know, oh, we've got one guitar, let's put another guitar, let's put another guitar, on. oh, let's get the drums bigger and bigger, and in the end, it ends up that big. Uh, so yeah. you, there has to be room for everything to breathe and it's kind of natural environment for the thing to sound, you know, um, right. So, yeah, that's, but it's taken me a long time to learn that. <laughs> yeah, well, it takes a lifetime sometimes. Yeah, really. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Another song that hit me emotionally hard with the new album is Even If It Takes a Lifetime. And when I'm listening to these lyrics, I just kept thinking, when are we going to be able to stop writing this type of a song? These type of songs have been written since the 60s and nothing seems to be changing. That's what I got from this song.
think that the um, the problem is, is in the last few years, I think, you know, we've had some very divisive people um, in charge of things. Yes. Uh, obviously, you guys have had to put up with Trump and we've had sort of Johnson and Brexit over here. And, and we, certainly from a UK perspective, when the Brexit thing was mooted, I mean, it was a very tight vote. It was 51% voted for. Um, and what it did in the campaigning for Brexit, lots of very unpleasant, xenophobic, even racist stuff got kind of dragged up and bloody foreigners coming here and stealing all their jobs, all that sort of shit, you know. Um, and it was the usual thing of scare people enough and they'll vote for anything. And um, it's that terrible thing about um, disarming, you know, confusing people with, with nonsense. And, uh, you know, you know, Trump did exactly the same thing. And, yep. and it's a sort of, um, you know, it's that style of kind of you know, government, the, the guy in Brazil, Bolsonaro, is the same thing. France have just really just got away with it when Marine Le Pen very nearly got in, but thankfully she didn't. So there's all these kind of people influencing the world, you know, any kind of ground that the world made in the end of the last century, you kind of feel like it's been dragged back a little bit. Um, and I think that's the struggle between kind of, you know, I, I, ideals. Um, and it's, um, yes, yeah, it's extremely unfortunate. I, I, I just think that, uh, you know, I would have thought in, in my lifetime that we wouldn't even be talking about it anymore. Right. But it's, it's problem still there, you know, what can you do? And, I suppose it's the job of people that write songs and make films and write books to, to talk about it, I guess. Absolutely it is. Brings me to another song in the album, Just a Grifter. Is is this song about anyone specific or is it just a composite of all the people you just mentioned? Boris Johnson. <laughs> all right. Clear and bare-faced A total disgrace and it comes as no real surprise hard to believe race to deceive I don't know how people can see I mean, I, yeah, just, uh, I, I just, it's so hard to believe that our country is being run by a buffoon. It's, it's, it's incredible. I can't, I, it's just, it's unbelievable. Well, that's how, that's how I felt for four years too. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, I have friends, incredible. I have friends who are Republican and they didn't vote for Trump because they just could not believe that that was the guy. Are you yeah. kidding? Well, there's a, there's a song actually on our last album called The Smoking Gun. Um, uh, and it's like, um, and we all let the devil in because um, nobody believed he could win. And that's kind of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, and it's true. 
Like open veins Bleeding anger And frustration So he preached With fury in his eyes Before The congregation We all stood laughing Smug in our disbelief Hypnotized by A lying common thief And we all Let the devil in Cause no one Believed he could win Now we've all Left fingerprints on You guys make rock music But rock music can also Have a message Yeah it's it, like, you know like we were talking about earlier about the aging process and stuff. You know, I, I don't want to deny who I am or what I am, and, and I can't. I've said this a lot on, in, in the interviews I've done recently, which is that you can't. I can't just write songs about chasing girls and driving cars. I, I can't. I'm too yeah. old. I don't do either of those things anymore. You know? <laughs> but but I'm, I'm bothered by the things that I see in the world, and, and they. They're the things that inspire me to write and make me angry and make me motivated. So that's that's where the juice of the song has got to come from. And sometimes songs like that can be mopey and downtrodden. But when you do it, Luke, you're nailing it because it just makes me listen even harder. Thank you. Well, I, you know, I think I, I'm I'm an optimist naturally, so I'll, I'll always try and find a positive, even if it's a really shitty thing. So yeah, you know, we've got to look upwards, not downwards. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, I want to give a shout out right now to U-Turn Audio. Now look, a few years back, U-Turn Audio sent me a free turntable and that got me back into vinyl. But ever since I got that turntable, I've been looking for some speakers that sounded to my ear the way my speakers did with my stereo when I was in high school. And I haven't been able to find those. Now I've purchased many speakers. Like I'll, I'll order something on Amazon, try them and they sound like crap. And they go right back to Bezos' house. I actually have his address. I send him right to his house. But U-Turn Audio actually makes speakers. And just this past week, they sent me a pair. The speakers plug right into the turntable, turn on the preamp, turn on the speakers, and you are good to go. These are bookshelf size speakers, ultra-low distortion amplification meets classic speaker design, and they are terrific. So look, go to U-TurnAudio.com. Click on their speakers page. They come in black. I have the black. They come in white and they come in wood tone. And these things sound great. They're bookshelf size. So try these out, folks. I do not think you'll be disappointed. Now back to the show. I wanted to make sure to talk about this song today from your 2005 album, The Magnificent Seventh, a song called Amy's on the Run. Okay. This is a transgender song that you wrote 17 years ago.
a lot of times these things are not talked about. I mean, Ray Davies of the Kinks would talk about it, you know, but what made you tackle this topic in a rock song? Do you know, I, 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 it's, it was a very strange thing. Um, but I remember writing that song and I had a different working title. I can't know what it was. So I was sort of just humming a tune. And um, where we lived at the time, there was um, a load of students that lived next in the house next door. And one of them was a girl called Amy. And she happened to walk past the window. And Amy, that was also my grandmother's name. So I thought, well, I started, I started playing with the, the word Amy. And then it just, this whole story, I don't know where it came from. But I started thinking about it. And um, I just thought it was a really interesting sort of thing because, you know, to be like that sort of, you know, pre-op transsexual person who you're waiting to change sex and you're living in the in the style of what you want to become, but you're while you're still, you know, a woman trapped in a man's body kind of thing. Um, and it's it's kind of interesting because it's a terrible, must be an awful, I, I have no idea how that would feel. Um, and, and sometimes I think when you write songs, it's good to try and... Um, put yourself in the head of somebody who's in a completely different situation to you because it makes you look at the world in a, in a different way. And, um, yeah, I always felt, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, we've got sort of gay friends, and, but I've never met anybody who, who's, who's sort of transgendered, who's moved, moved across. So a lot of it was me sort of using my imagination, I guess. But I thought it was, you know, it was, it was an interesting subject to tackle and, and uh, something that, like you say, it doesn't get tackled very often in rock and roll. It doesn't. And uh, it, it hit home for me because our oldest child identifies as non-binary. The pronouns are they, them. And, yeah. uh, you know, we embrace everyone here. We, we have the rainbow flag flying outside the house right now. So did the LGBTQ community embrace this song or did it get lost in the shuffle? Because I, I really think it's an important song. Well, it's interesting because we um, it wasn't it was never released as a single. So right. but I, I'm guessing that most the only people who really got to hear it were people that kind of like Thunder bought the album. But uh, anyway, a couple of years after it had come out, um, I got this really nice note from uh, this guy who, who 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 was gay. He wasn't transgendering or anything, mm -hmm. but he was a gay guy who liked the band. And he said, you know, it's really good that somebody like you would write a song like this. In you know being as the rock is such a sort of macho, over-the-top macho genre, it was, I find really odd because, you know, two of the greatest, you know, Freddie Mercury, Rob Halford, these guys are gay, you know, I mean, yeah. I, there's nothing, with, you know, it's like, and everyone knows they're gay. Yeah, Elton, but, Elton John. Like, Elton John, I mean, you, you could go on, you could go yes. on and on. Right? Um, so it's a massive part of, um, you know, creative people, um, are people who, who tend to follow completely their hearts. They're not normally, you know, bound down by convention. And that's why I think, you know, the, uh, the arts attracts gay people and, and, and people who are different in, in whatever way. And I think that's a fantastic thing. But this kind of, you know, the, the, the macho leather jacket, man shaking an iron fist thing about rock music is, it's so outdated and, and, uh, you know, I really don't think any of us believe that anymore, do we? I'm out. I, I would. I hope not. I hope no. not. Uh, but I did want to touch on that song because, for the simple fact of people that maybe don't know about it, maybe they'll find it now through the show. So, well, good. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you. I wanted to bring that up. Uh, let's mention the band members: Luke, of course, guitars and some keyboards; Danny on vocals; uh, Harry on drums; Ben Matthews on guitars and keyboards; and Chris Childs on bass. 
it's basically almost the original lineup from the first album. Yeah, only we've changed bass player twice. That's the only difference from the album one. Yeah. The original, the first album that we got to hear here in the States was, of course, Backstreet Symphony. You guys were on Geffen Records. And I just feel like they dropped the ball with you guys. I think I think the thing that happened was that the the, the changing tide of of, um, of music in America actually mm-hmm. you know, grunge um, really was what changed um, everything for us. It, 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 not in a good way. Um, I think lots of the radio stations changed formats around that time. Uh, Geffen, our label, suddenly sort of withdrew any kind of financial support, which made it difficult or impossible for us to come and tour. Yeah. And so that was extremely frustrating. Um, and, you know, we've never kind of really recovered from that in the States, which is a kind of, you know, the one kind of blot on our CV, really, um, which is irritating. It still irritates us. And we would still dearly love to come and play in the States. And uh, it's something that we talk about a lot. We've had a couple of offers come, but it's, it's never been the right time or the right sort of thing. So, um, but, you know, it's something we've not given up hope on. And I think on this album, it's interesting. We've done more promotion than we have for, for yeah. ages. So well, that's great. That's a good sign. So with people like yourself kind of spreading the word, um, you know, I like to think that, you know, a trip over there is not beyond the realms of possibility. Well, that was going to be one of my questions because I, I don't know when the last time you guys played here, 25 years, I certainly never got to see you live. Yeah, well, the last time we played, uh, well, was actually played on American soil was uh, in 94. Okay. And we did a show at LA Palladium. We were recording actually in LA and uh, King's X were playing at the Palladium and we tried to get them to open for us in the UK two years before because we thought they were a great band and nobody knew about them. And they heard we were in town and said, why don't you come and open for us if you, if you want to, you know, it's yours. So we did. Um, uh, and that was the last, yeah, that was 94. And it was, this is how un- unfortunate we are. Yeah. Um, that, that particular night we played with them was the same night that, um, uh, oh Christ! Uh, great, uh, uh, oh Christ! Uh, OJ Simpson. Oh, <laughs> Simpson and the Bronco up the highway. It was the same night. Yeah, so the audience not, was a little affected. <laughs> yeah, that's not good luck at all. No, it's really not. So at that point, we're kind of thinking, well, maybe the full powers that be don't want this to happen in America. So yeah, but hey, what can you do? Sometimes mm-hmm. things go. Those things so, go wrong. So, Luke, it's it's just not cost effective for you guys to even come over and do like a mini tour of like L.A., San Francisco, Chicago, New York. It's just not in the cards financially. Uh, 
Well, to be honest with you, we, we've not recently just changed agent. Now, we've sat down with their agent and we've talked about this. And we said, okay, let me talk with you. So it's certainly not beyond the realms of possibility. Well, I live in Los Angeles, and I assume if you did get here, we would be one of the stops. And I, you, I would have to assume that whatever shows you did here would be sold out because people have not had a chance to see you unless we come to you. Well, I, you know, I, I, the funny thing is I have no idea how many tickets we could sell. I have no, genuinely have no idea yeah. whether it would be 20 or 2,000. I, I couldn't tell you. So I guess the only way we're going to find out is by coming. So we need to well, do that. I want you to give it a whirl. That's what I'm hoping. Um, okay, well, I, I hope you <laughs> Backstreet Symphony was produced by Andy Taylor. Here's a question I always wanted to know. Andy's first solo album came out in 1987, and it's called Thunder. Yeah. Is that where you guys took your name from? No, I, it, it, genuinely not. Uh, basically, I didn't know that Taylor had made an album called Thunder at that point when I first met him, but I had written a song called Distant Thunder, which was on the first, was on yeah. the Backstreet Simple. scratching around for a name when the band started and I said well, what about Distant Thunder well, maybe maybe this short this might have about Thunder and it, so everybody went yep that's good so that was it really and it was only afterwards I found out about Taylor's album so okay okay well Thunder I love a band that has a one word name I always think that is just perfect and Thunder it's such a powerful name you know everyone knows what Thunder is that crack that you know it's a great name. So congratulations on you guys figuring that out. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what are some songs I want to talk about from the first album? Of course, we talked about Dirty Love. Harry's drumming is amazing on Dirty Love. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah he's a great musician. And um, like I said, sometimes that gets lost beneath the uh, everything else. You know. Yeah. Uh, another song I love is Don't Wait For Me. Again, Danny's vocals, incredible on that song. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm still so alone Will I ever get used to this feeling And the night's so long and cold When all I wanna do is hold you But all I seem to do is cry
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. See, when we, the, oh, crikey, not long after we'd made the album, um, it was before the album was released, we did some shows in the UK opening for Aerosmith. And um, and Mike Fraser, who, who recorded the first album and mixed it, had, had just finished doing Pump with Aerosmith. And we'd sent Mike the demos and he was listening to it. He obviously had them on in the studio. And, and obviously Stephen had, had heard Don't Wait For Me. And he came into our dressing room and he said, who wrote that? And he sang it. And I said, oh, that was me. And he went, oh, that's a good song. So, you know, that was the um, yeah, no, it's a good, it's a, it's a good tune. That we still play that one live occasionally. It's uh, yeah, it's great fun to play. When you're writing a song, are you thinking like, I can't wait to hear Danny sing this? Is that what's in your head as you write stuff? Sure, yeah, because you know, like I said, while I'm writing, I'm, I'm thinking about what Harry's going to be doing, what Danny's going to be doing, you know, what the guitars are doing. So I'm trying, I'm trying to write in full Technicolor. So yeah, I mean, it's, of course, yeah, it's 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 you know, and I write because I know what his voice will do. And that's, you know, that's uh, obviously massive, a massive advantage. So on paper, you think you have a good song. And then when the band gets a hold of it, that's when you know it's a good song. Yeah, yeah I think that's the thing. You, see, you always get that slight sensation when you're writing something, if you think it's really good. And then nine times out of 10, when the band get a hold of it, then it kind of really comes to life. And that's, yeah, that's, that's when the magic happens, as they say. Um, I noticed it in a song on Dopamine Across the Nation. Uh, you name check Bill Murray in the film Groundhog Day. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite movies. So, yeah. <laughs> Another weed like a one before. It's still for a year or more. Like Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. Wish I could get back out on the road and play. It's been a I, yeah. I, I was I was thinking about you uh, maybe watching this on the tour bus. Maybe that was a tour bus favorite at a point in career. I just love that film. It's one of those movies. Um, there's two movies, that one, and the other one is Trains, Planes, and Automobiles. That yeah. were in, within a couple of, of years of each other, I guess. And I, I dearly love both those films. And if they come on the TV, I have to stop what I'm doing and watch them, no matter how many times I've seen them both. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. So it's a pleasure to be able to name check that in a tune. Well, not to make this interview about me, but I will tell you when I was a, a young wannabe actor, I did six weeks of extra work on the film Groundhog Day. Oh, wow. Well, great. That's because they needed the same people there all the time, even in the background. And that was a blast. So, of course, when that came up, it uh, it gave me a little right. charge. Um, where did the title dopamine come from? I know that it's a drug. I'm not sure exactly what that drug does. Yeah, well, it's a chemical that we that, that our body creates that we release that is released when we feel pleasure or attainment or um, affection or um, all of those things. It's like the good the good stuff. And yeah. um, you know, I started. I read this article by this psychologist, and she was saying that you know, in in, in the modern world, with um, 
we all live through our phones and we're, you know, and there's a whole young generation now, they, it's, it's their kind of window on the world and it gives them, it's like their doctor, it's their shrink, it's their, uh, where they play their music, it's where they take their photographs and it's the place where they get their dopamine here because when they put that photograph of themselves up in the cute frock and all their mates come back and say, oh, you look so cute and they get all the likes and that's what releases the dopamine and, and that's, it was that kind of image that made me sort of, uh, that gave me the idea for the cover with the girls in the bathroom and stuff. So, yep. yeah, um, yeah, that was it's that simple, really. I just thought it was an in- it was an interesting. I like the sound of the word as well. That's how I think. And uh, and again, one word title is always cool for an album, also. And thank you for explaining because now the cover image makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah, and if you flip the if you flip the cover around, the whole point of the cover is that these these two girls are in the bathroom and they're kind of so self obsessed and so caught up in what they're doing. But they don't notice that ten feet away uh, in one of the uh, traps, there's a unicorn, and they miss it completely. <laughs> the well, the, and it's like a sort of a meta. That's a very kind of easy to work out metaphor that the world is not about what's there; it's about everything else that's coming up. Yeah. Well, see, in the digital age, the uh, the PR person sent me the album, so I haven't yet bought a physical copy. But I'm oh, still right. I'm still a physical music guy, and. That's how I buy my music. So I will be picking up a physical copy for sure. One, another song on dopamine I want to talk about. One day we'll be free again. I hear the sirens screaming down these empty streets. Echoes of the life that was fading out of reach. Heavy clouds are crying For the world below But as sure as the sun returns There's one thing that I know Was this your COVID lockdown song? Yeah, it's weird. It kind of started that way. Uh, this was actually the first song I wrote for the album. Um, uh, literally, the, like the, the, within the first week of, of, of lockdown, I started writing it. And, um, yeah, it kind of started that way. But then it, it kind of also developed into this other thing, which is uh, when we got the girls to come along and sing on the chorus, it got into this kind of gospely almost Thing. And then it sort of, then I started seeing it in a different light, like it was sort of maybe more about emancipation in a general sense. And if you look around the world, you know, I mean, it's like everything that's going on in Ukraine right now and, and uh, people being suppressed. So it kind of uh, it applies in, in that sense as well. But yeah, it did start off as, as completely as a, as a COVID song. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, let's jump around a little bit, talk about some songs on some of the other albums. Uh, 1996, The Thrill of It All. Uh, you handle bass duties on that. Yeah. And Pilot of My Dreams, uh, that has a perfect example of you with a cool bass riff.
Ah, oh, thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a, a fun track. I just, yeah, actually, start, that riff originally was on the guitar, and I thought, well, I'm not sure about this. And then as I picked up the bass and played it, I thought, well, this is quite good on the bass. Maybe we'll, we'll you know, we'll approach it from that angle. Uh, and, and, you know, we did, and it seems to work. Funny enough, Chris, our bass player, who joined just after that album, loves yeah. playing that. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so, you know, yeah, no, it's a fun track. It's a fun track. And then another song on The Thrill of It All, Don't Wait Up, that song starts out with a cool, funky guitar riff. Yeah. I love, I mean, I'm a massive fan of James Brown. I always have been. Um, and, uh, it was very f- funny. I, I did a session once for Andy Taylor. Um, he made an album in 88, 89, um, which I don't think has ever been released. Um, and it was it was an interesting bunch of musicians. He, he, he rang me and said, would you come to the studio? Because I want to concentrate on singing. Can you just come while we're working up the songs and play a bit of guitar? I said, yeah, great. So I went to the studio and it was the rhythm section was Mel Gaynor, who's the drummer in Simple Minds, and um, Bernard Edwards playing the bass, wow. the great Bernard Edwards. And Taylor didn't tell me till I got to the studio and opened the door and there's Bernard. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so one of the greatest bass players of all time, Jesus Christ. Uh, but we spent a lot of time jamming um, while we were working through the church. And um, Taylor wanted to do this um, old Beatles song um, you can't do that, which I think is on the Help album, maybe. Okay. Um, and he, but he wanted to do it like James Brown. So, so, you know, it's like a sort of funky thing. So I started playing this lick and the band, get, you know, and Bernard and and, uh, and and the drummer kicked in and we went around it a few times and we stopped. And he looks at me, he said, man, he said, you play guitar like a <laughs> Wow. Well, I, that's, a, the, that's a compliment, right? That's the best musical compliment I've ever had. And like I say, it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that was a big moment. And I was like, wow, 
Well, that was that's pretty incredible. But he was an interesting guy. His favorite bass player was was Paul McCartney. I don't know that Paul always gets thought of for his bass playing. Mm, I think he's genius. thought of as a pop songwriter uh, who's who's a genius. But the bass playing is really unbelievable. unbelievable. Let me ask about the Andy Taylor. I love Andy Taylor, but he see he seems like a mysterious person to me. Like we don't know a lot about Andy Taylor. He has new music ready, right? Did you help out with some of that? I didn't. Um, I've heard it, and it's great. I didn't help out. I was just too too damn busy. Ricky Ricky helped out. On it. Yes, Ricky right. told me he helped out on like eight or nine songs, and so I'm great. waiting. Um, but I, why quite why he hasn't got around to releasing it? I don't know. But that's Andy. Um, <laughs> he's always been uh, a bit enigmatic in that sense. Um, yeah. I think he's, he spends a lot, he gets restless very easy. So if he's been sitting on something for a while, he'll maybe get a track distracted and get involved with something else going on over there. He, he tends to spend a lot of his time sort of jumping from thing to thing. Um, uh, but yeah, that album, I mean, every time I see him, I say, when's it coming out? You've got to go, oh, well, we're working on this, working on that. But it's like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a really cool album. It's very, very good. I hope we someday get to hear it. Uh, the Ricky yeah. that we were talking about is Ricky Warwick. And I want to mention that in 2021, you played guitar on his most recent album, When Life Was Hard and Fast. You played guitar on You Don't Love Me. Good work. Yeah. Good yeah, work. Thank you. Pleasure. You know, really easy to do. And, uh, you know, I say I love Ricky. He's a great guy. So, you know, anytime. Uh, another song I want to touch upon is 1999 from the album Giving the Game Away. Just another suicide you want to know. It's so terrific. Mm -hmm. Kicks off the album perfectly. when I was touring the power station I, and uh, and I, I wasn't feeling great a bit, but 
cold or a hangover or something, and I was sort of stuck in a hotel room. And, and I, was all, I was out there when uh, Princess Diana died. Um, and so it's kind of loosely about that, but it isn't really, you know, it's about the, I guess, the, you know, the monstering of, of, of people by the, by the media. Um, and uh, yeah, um, that was it. it. Just song just came together really quick. It was one of those. Um, I mean, actually, I have to say, I, I, it's actually co-write with Harry the drummer because he, Harry had this, had sort of sent me this melody, which is essentially the chorus melody, um, and um, I just thought it was really good, and it was sort of flying around in my brain, and it was one of those moments when it all kind of came together. So, yeah. Let me ask about the Power Station. Your work with them was it in a live capacity? Yeah, uh, totally. I didn't didn't play on any of the records. Um, they uh, they made a second album, uh, ninety four. Yes, um, and uh, called Living in Fear, and um, they decided when they were going to go out and tour that they were going to expand the band with with me. And um, we did we did a whole US tour with a, a brass section as well, um, which was great. And um, yeah, so I got the call and. Fortunately, again, Thunder weren't doing much at that moment. Uh-huh. So I said, well, I'd absolutely love to come. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was great. It was great working with, well, obviously, it's always great working with Andy, but with Robert and with, you know, the great Tony Thompson. It's hard to believe that neither Robert or Tony is with us now. Um, but yeah, it was great. It was great fun. Great fun playing Addicted to Love with Tony Thompson in the drums. That's really something. <laughs> I bet. And I believe you guys played the House of Blues here in Los Angeles. We did, night. yeah. Yeah, um, we did. Uh, I, yeah, I remember it. it was great. It was really good. 2005, but we're going to talk about Magnificent Seventh again. Uh, the song I Love You More Than Rock and Roll, this goes to number one in the UK rock charts. Mm hmm. What was that yep. like seven albums into your career and you get this number one song in UK? Yeah. I mean, I think we, I, 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 it's interesting how, um, you know, I, I mean, charts, statistics, are, statistics and art are odd bedfellows. I mean, according, you know, you might have a really good chart position one week because nobody else has released much that in that. So, you know, I don't, I'm not quite sure what they mean, but I think the, the fact is uh, it's still a very popular tune that, and, um, I think it's one of those that from the date we toured to promote that album, that song's pretty much stayed in the live set all the time. Um, cool. Good. So, yeah, it's one of those, it's hard to, hard to stop playing because it's, it's, it works so well live. If you guys come to the US, you're going to be able to play anything you want because the, uh, the only song that the US has really been familiar with is Dirty Love, to be honest, if we're being honest. So you guys oh, will have free will to do whatever you want and we'll exactly. just eat it up so yeah well that uh, that that's a 
Very good point, well made. And, and that's something that hadn't escaped me. I think uh, the absolute freedom to play anything is a wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah that's that's great. 2008, the album's called Bang. There's a song called On the Radio. And this is obviously about your frustration with music industry and the radio play in particular. I mean, it's got the yeah. lyric, 20 years I make a living at this. No thanks to you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I think you know. Sometimes frustration is 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 a song. Song songs a good way to get it off your chest. And uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was really uh, the mainstream media in the UK have, have never ever really supported Dunder. So thank God that we have things like Planet Rock Radio and and uh, you know because you know there's still this rock is still very popular here it's amazing yeah although if you read the mainstream media you would they would have you believe otherwise but it's still very popular here. it's just it's underserviced in so many ways now did that frustration lead to you uh, and the band taking a seven-year break between albums yeah it did really i uh, well it certainly did uh the first time we stopped uh, the second time we stopped it was a sort of slightly different thing we we in the noughties, we'd gone through the noughties, run our own label, and Danny had, had done a lot of that because uh, Danny, is, as well as being a great singer, is, is a very natural businessman. Um, and um, I think we got to the point where we needed uh, we needed help, and uh, but we, because we were getting to the point where we needed to, to sort of expand the business, and he didn't want to take that on his own, which is fair enough. And at the same time, he was offered uh, quite a good job being an agent. Okay, and he stopped. He just said, right, you know, I'm going to try that. So we were, okay, fair. that's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. Um, and he tried it for a couple of years and then didn't, and I went off and did the union and, and what have you. And, and, and you know, uh, he, and I think he, he realised quite quickly that kind of being in an office wasn't quite the same as being on stage. So. Right. But, you know, and then eventually, obviously, we, we, we came back together again. But, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a funny business sometimes. And I think you... Sometimes it's good to step away. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, yeah. how much you love, you've got to keep the batteries, you know, recharged at all times. And then when you come back in 2015, you have another killer album, Wonder Days. And I mean, the title track, it again sets the tone for Thunder Is Back. First day of school, they call me a disgrace.
There's a lot of a lot of reflection on my teenage years in the album, and uh, Wonder Days is literally about school days. You know, it's just uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, that's good fun to write. When you think about all the things that were important to you when you're that age, and and uh, the things that were going on around you, and uh, that horrible kind of period of adolescence where you're yeah. not a child and you're not a man. <laughs> yeah. And the the yeah, album cover ref- the album cover reflects the uh, the title. Um, who initiates yeah, sure. this? Who initiates this comeback? Well, it was it was just like I said, Danny and I had, um, had gone out and had dinner, um, and it's funny enough, we both had a very large tax bill, so it was like okay, <laughs> dinner run shows in the summer, so we were going to run a festivals, and and that, that was it. And then uh, our friend, who was a promoter, rang us and said, "Look, you know, I know you guys are doing this festival run." Um, and he said, "Like I've got White Snake and Journey going out in the UK. Would you like to be special guests? Um, I'll pay you very well, and you only have to play for forty-five minutes. And it goes right around the country in arenas. And we're like, yeah, hey, what, why not? It'd be fun. Yeah. So we did that. The, the we the reaction that we got on one well, it was fantastic. But on one particular show, it was in Cardiff in Wales. The audience made so much noise after we played the first song that we couldn't play for another minute. And that's a long time when you're standing there on stage." Um, and we all walked off after that thinking, well, um, I think even David Coverdale came into my dressing room. Well, uh, bloody good this evening. What a great audience. Um, <laughs> and but we, it, we just thought, well, you know, if we're going to make another record, we should probably do it right now. So that's basically what happened. All and right. Was, we haven't looked back since. Okay. Before we go, I just want to mention uh, a couple of people that helped out with this. I want to thank. Hadley Wolfram for setting up this interview and special thanks to super fans, Stephen Kirsch and Dave Festini for their research assistance. The website is thunderonline.com and Twitter. You can go to at thunder towers. Luke, I know you guys have shows coming up this month, continued success. The thing about you guys is I know that this isn't the last album. I know there's going to be more thunder albums coming. So that's exciting. And in closing, Luke, uh, continued success. And just one more question. What would you like me to play as our play out song from the new album? Pick one for me. Okay. Well, I think, why don't we go with uh, across the nation? Because it seems appropriate as we're about to go out and do these gigs. And it's a kind of very up and happy kind of tune. And yeah, that's a good one to pick. All right, Luke Morley, thank you so much for the music. Thank you so much for your time. And everyone else, please enjoy Across the Nation. Thank you, mate.
I didn't want to keep you too long, but I was enjoying it so much. No, I've been enjoying it too. So it's been a great conversation. 